The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I am your host. Thrilled to be here. Uh, it's on a Wednesday if you're listening. It's a Tuesday if you're watching on YouTube, youtube.com slash CBS Sports. Click on the little video tab. Go to the green screen. You'll see the Pick 6 Podcast logo. And if it's a Tuesday, that means it's a Brady Quinn football show. <laughs> <laughs> We're now with more Ryan Wilson. Um, Ryan, how you doing? Awesome. I was turning the butter in honor of the Brady Quinn football show. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, <laughs> Will, you know what I love about today's show is I always get a chance to talk with Ryan before the show because we do some hits on HQ. And so I already feel like we've got some momentum building into this. And then we're almost like a snowball just coming down a mountain. And you're like standing there with your skis. I'm like, what should I do? What should I do? That's kind of how I feel right uh, now. I, uh, I'm a good skier, actually. So that's not shocking. That, that's that's a rich person's thing to do. So yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um, he, yeah. I, look, anyway, sorry, but you know what? <laughs> <laughs> um, should we should he, we point uh, out by the way that Brady sent us an email saying, "Let's please stay on topic." And here we are, 45 seconds in, and you're bragging about how good of a skier you are. I hope you know I was being 100 percent sarcastic. I'm annoyed because my wife is texting me angry that I haven't ordered a pizza when she told me to order it five minutes ago after I said I'm about to start doing this podcast with Brady. And it's like it's like this job doesn't count as a real job sometimes, and it's incredibly frustrating. I, I get, get this, I get the same it's thing no from way. my wife. Do, do, are you being serious or are you making fun of me? 100% being serious. Like, I'll be watching film. She'll barge in, throw a kid at me, and then, like, leave the other one in there. I'm like – uh, this is work. Like, I know it doesn't look like it, but I'm actually preparing for something else for work. Now I've got a bottle. Now I'm trying to like play with the other one while I'm watching, you know, cover three by the freaking Seattle Seahawks defense or something. It's just, I'm just like, all right, like, I guess we're dealing with this now. I, 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 I literally texted and said, I'm going upstairs when you get home. Just so you know, don't come busting up here. I'm going to be on video. I got this going on. And she's like, Robbie's freaking out. He needs pizza for dinner. I'm like, well, look, it's 530. You have one child, a five-year-old. Just deal with it. Get him some food. So He'll be fine. Throw him a she, phone or something. She couldn't break in for any reason. Like, what happens if all of a sudden that moment comes where she's like, Will, I like that beard. You're looking pretty good right now. Uh, I don't think Yikes. that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Too much information, said, Brady. It's the holiday uh, season, Will. You know, sometimes some people get really, you know, turned on by that. I don't know. I'm just glad, you know what? I'm just glad. That it's, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just glad that it's not just the guy, like the guy who works at home in his pajama pants. It's the prof- former professional football player too. That makes me feel good. It's everybody, guys. So like, if you're, you know, this isn't all hanging out with celebrities and famous former football players and, and doing podcasts with Ryan Wilson 24-7. There's a, there's a home life grind to this, too. And sometimes you don't know I, that. I remember going from uh, a work event in New York where I was around all kinds of just crazy, crazy, like, cool people I got to meet. 
um, different actors, actresses, uh, people involved the WWE, a lot of the NFL crews, uh, and some of the different people there. Um, there's this big event called the Upfronts, right? And it's usually when all the different networks go out there and they put on for advertisers, like what their new shows are going to be or anything else that they're going to be like pushing out there. Um, you know, especially this time of year, uh, so that, that advertise, you know, advertisers can then spend for commercials, et cetera. So I remember coming back from that event, like my wife came up with me cause we just wanted to have like an opportunity to go to New York to hang out together and getting back the next day and just getting hit with that reality of like what parenthood is like. It is the most humbling thing in the world. I love it. And it's one of the things that we could all relate to, especially anyone who has kids. Like it, it makes you have to realize like, this is the reality of, of being a parent. Like you all go through changing crap diapers. You all go through like all those things that you're getting thrown up on and the late nights and everything else. And it's, it's kind of cool. Like that's one of the things that I love about parenthood is everyone can relate to those experiences. Mm. Indeed. Mm. Ryan actually, Ryan. Mm. Well, I didn't know if Ryan was going to dive in and say, you know what, Brady, I actually made chicken wings right before we started this podcast, but uh, he didn't. Um, and uh, look, look now in the span of four minutes, my wife has gone from coming home expecting pizza to coming home getting nothing, and I'm 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 up here having fun or something. What kind of pizza, by the way? Can I ask that? Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut, really? Oh, really? There's like a local pizza? spot. I had a Pizza Hut gift card. Oh, oh okay. Fair. At least you're. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, I feel like what kind of pizza you eat tells a lot about what kind of person you are. No, I would order a Capital Creations, which is a local to Raleigh. It's a pesky chicken with, uh, it's a grilled chicken, bacon, uh, Ooh. red onions, feta cheese. Like that, that's my, that's my, that's my jam personally. Uh, I was trying to appease my wife who likes pepperoni, mushrooms, and onions and my child who only likes cheese. So like, this is not what I want. It's about trying to appease him and now I'm in trouble. It's amazing how fast it turns. I'm definitely getting screamed at later, but let's have a fun <laughs> podcast. Ryan, what do you like? You know what? I am a cheese pizza guy, but I get Twin Trees, uh, which is a local place that's been around forever. And um, I can't describe it because I'm terrible at describing pizza, but um, I do like <laughs> Hawaiian pizza. And I know that gets people really fired up. I'm a Hawaiian pizza guy if if pressed, but I'm old school cheese pizza. My kids like pepperoni, so you know. Is, we is don't that like a C, is that like a CPK CPK thing, which I've never actually eaten there? Don't they have a good Hawaiian pizza? Hawaiian's great. Uh, oh, I know people get fired up because you can't put pineapple on pizza. I think it's the greatest idea ever. Hmm. It's there delicious. I love Hawaii. I love yeah. The uh you know those are Domino's is a really good thin crust Hawaiian pizza. I highly recommend it. Uh Devo, how many minutes are we up? Well, how many well, well let's get a Domino's or a Pizza Hut sponsorship. <laughs> the Pizza Hut, the official uh we're seven minutes in. We've been talking about pizza and being married. All right, good, good. Great, grand, fantastic. Um <laughs> if you like our tangents, leave a review. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Rough start. There's the door. Here it comes. Spygate 2. I'd rather be Bill Belichick than me right now. Did not just for the money and the fame and the, the de- devil's good looks and the, the hoodies. Uh, Brady, I, I want to ask you this, Brady, because I, I am, I'm genuinely, I'm writing an article. It's sort of like a, a FAQ about Spygate 2 and, and, and what's going on with and why people should maybe be an uproar or maybe not be an uproar. My first question to you would be not what you think about all this, but is there anything to glean? from using a video camera to record another team's coach on the sidelines during an entire quarter, half, whole game, when because most of the signals are going to be over radio transmission at this point in time, right? Some, not most, especially for a defense. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, what you're alluding to is even though they have the green dot on their helmet and typically the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator call the play into 
the quarterback or on defense. It could be the mic. In, in some cases, it could be a safety. I believe Weddle actually wears it uh, out for the uh, for the Rams. So it, it varies depending on who that player is on defense. But either way, that's who's communicating everything else. But if you think about that communication, it's not usually the most efficient and usually defenses don't actually literally huddle. So, um, cause they don't want to like leave their certain sides of the field or, you know, potentially have to run in to run back out. They're wasting energy. So a lot of times they'll end up just signaling, like he gets the call, he makes the call and then he might signal out to the secondary or whatever the case may be. The other thing is a lot of times when offenses, they'll, they'll get to the line of scrimmage. Maybe they want to look to audible the defensive coordinator. If he has enough time, he obviously can't use that headset, right? Cause it clicks out at 15 seconds, dead air. How do you, how do you audible then if you're a defense? Look to the sidelines, you get a signal. So a lot of, you know, that that goes on, you could definitely still you know, steal those signals for opposing defenses, uh, to be able to glean something from that. You can get personnel groups, uh, from that. And so that might give you a little bit of a head start based on whatever their signal is. So you don't have to waste a series or two figuring that out. Uh, sometimes you can glean just, you know, what a coach's mannerisms are depending on what they're doing. If he's running a fake, if he's not running a fake on special teams. So, there's a lot of things you can kind of get from that specific footage that could be valuable and useful for you. And that's why I, I do think this is something that the NFL has to take extremely serious. They need to look into, you know, who is behind this, what happened with that footage, what they're planning on doing with it. Because, you know, we were calling this Spygate 2, but it's not Spygate 2. It's Spygate 2 maybe for the Patriots. Josh McDaniels was a part of Spygate 2 when he was a head coach with the Denver Broncos. That ended up really being the nail in the coffin during his time there. He had uh, someone within the film crew was filming a walkthrough practice back when I was there with the Denver Broncos on that team. We were in London. They were filming the walkthrough. They got caught. They came back. We came back after we lost that game. And I want to say a week or so later, that was kind of the, the, the end of the story. So this has happened again with Josh McDaniels as the head coach of another team. And now obviously it's happening again uh, with the New England Patriots for a second time there, but really third time considering Josh McDaniels has, has been involved with this for a while. So uh, it is something that they need to, you know, punish as harshly as possible if they, you know, do find more from this. Cause I think initially when you look at the statements the Patriots threw out there, you didn't think there was really much to it, that it was just some do your job documentary behind the scenes. But then as you start to read more of the reports that are coming out, the fact that it did film the sidelines for eight minutes, that's significant. And it's something that they really have got to take seriously. Brady, let, let me ask you this because you mentioned Josh McDaniels and of course Bill Belichick. Have been part of uh, these scenarios for um, whatever. Go back to 07. Is as a player, are you okay with that? If you're on the Broncos or if you're on the Patriots, and you can say, well, at least we're winning, or it's not cheating. Is there a way that you can find your way to the gray area, or do you have a problem with it as a competitor? Because if I'm on the other team, a coach, a player, front office, I'm pissed off because obviously this isn't a fair pa- uh, playing ground, and um, competitive balance isn't competitive, or, or, or shouldn't be, or shouldn't, it isn't balanced, I should say. So from your perspective, being a part of the Broncos, or if you could get into the mind of a, of a Patriots player, if you were there during Spygate, would you have an issue with it, or would you be like, eh, hey, I got some football rings to show you? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think players honestly look at it as, as even cheating or think that, right? We all try to justify things in our mind, uh, to, to make it feel like it's not cheating, even if it is. I mean, heck, I work with a couple guys, right? Who, who maybe beat me in a college game one time based on, uh, in a, in a legal play and they have no problem with touting that win. So it, it is what it is. Uh, and I think most players feel that way, like in the moment, as far as the competition, what happens on the field happens on the field and all the external stuff that maybe helps you prepare to win that game. 
uh, is kind of thrown out, thrown out the window. So most players, I can assure you, wouldn't have been that upset even if they felt like it was giving themselves an advantage. Everyone's looking for an advantage. I, I think what the New England Patriots do more than anyone else is, you know, they take areas that aren't necessarily very black and white as far as how it's described maybe in the rule book, and they look at those gray areas and say, okay, what happens if we did this? You know, and, and maybe that, you know, this specific thing that we're doing isn't written in the rule book or there's not an interpretation for it. So they do it to create an advantage if they feel like there is one there until you make them not have to and you create a rule. So you make it black and white. New England's better at doing that than anyone else. So, uh, look, I don't think it's far fetched to think that you have Zach Taylor, who's their next opponent, who is a first year head coach, first time head coach. There's probably not a lot of tape on his signals and what they do and how they operate. So, it's not that far-fetched to think that maybe they were trying to put this within their database of the different signals and things that he is going to use moving forward, um, considering that's you know kind of something that's out there. I mean, look, signals that certain teams use or even the verbiage that they use for audibles, the snap count, the plays, they've been around forever. You know, I used to, you know, Peyton used to be all over the Denver Broncos staff for making them change their verbiage week to week because he knew defenses were listening to the TV copy to pick up different words. Uh, I always think this, though. So all that being said, even that information that you have in in split seconds of a time, it's kind of hard to apply it to be able to make it kind of work to your advantage. I do think as a quarterback, though, if you could have tell me, and there's times when you look for it on, on your game film. You know, sometimes you'll see before the play, a safety might turn and go like this, and he's signaling to this cornerback like they're checking from whatever their coverage was before, and they're going to Tampa, too. If I know right away it's going to be Tampa 2 every single time I drop back or if I can pick up a signal where I know right now, and it happens all the time in training camp when you go ones-on-ones, I'm going to be able to throw that football with much more confidence because I know where your weaknesses are, I know where where I need to throw and where I need to attack, and then it just comes down to execution of the actual pass itself. All right, um, so where do we stand all this? I'm just curious, like a sort of a roundtable here, like start with you, Ryan. Are you – where do you lean? Do you think the – Patriots are guilty? Do you think the Patriots are not guilty? And what Brady mentioned as harshly as possible, what what punishment do you think they deserve and what punishment do you think they'll get? Sort of a a multi-part quick quick hitter there. Well, Belichick has denied knowing anything. He's done it twice in the, the WEEI radio conversation on um, Monday, I guess, and then Tuesday he talked to Cincinnati reporters and said he didn't know much about it and basically said we're on, we're on to Cincinnati. High five to him for that one. Look, man, I, I don't know what they've done but i in terms of this situation i know what they've done in the past and it, it's not a great look um they had eight minutes of video according to our buddy paul daner the athletic of just a camera pointing at the Bengal sidelines coaching staff i don't know how you explain that away when you're doing a documentary on advanced scout so that's curious but here's the thing we talked about this yesterday on the podcast you just never know which way roger Goodell is going to come down in terms of throwing the hammer it could be a 500 hundred dollar fine or it could be a million dollar fine and they lose the, you know, the 2020 draft class. So I don't know what's going to happen. This doesn't look great for the Patriots. I don't know if they're guilty, but given their history, it looks horrible. And, um, I'll just have to wait and see what, what Goodell comes up with. If you're asking me, I would say, depending on what they end up finding out uh, and how far this went, who knew what, which, which you, you do need to do that first. You, you do need to figure out if the coaching staff or the scouting department and any of the players had any knowledge of this and what was going on and, and what they were able to glean from it. 
<clears throat> if they did, I, I think you take away a first round pick, you throw a very hefty fine. I don't know if it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars or five hundred thousand, whatever it is. Um, it, it needs to be that punitive that no team ever thinks of doing it again. Uh, if they find out there's evidence that it was linked to the coaching staff and providing a competitive advantage, if not, you know, you still have to punish them in the sense that this doesn't happen again with some other organization or some other crew doing this that could, you know, be using that, that, you know, confidential information, if you will, uh, to provide to players or teams or coaches. So, uh, either way, I do think there needs to be some repercussion for this, just depending on, um, what they end up finding out. Cause I do think there's way, there, there's so much right now we don't know. We just know the history. And I think that's what makes us so concerned and what, and what makes us want to investigate this more because we have seen New England use this to their advantage in the past. Yeah. I mean, like if this is the Chargers filming the Bengals, it's like, what a bunch of goobers. Look at these Chargers. You're like, let's move along. Don't worry about it. It's always it. the, the Chargers, Char- Will. Always the Chargers. Like the Bills. The Bills are, are the, the, I don't know, pick anybody other than the Patriots. That's the point. And the, oh, but conversely, if this is the Ravens, whose press box has been infiltrated by Patriots, uh, videographers, I don't want to call them spies, but by, by Patriots, people with video cameras this is a huge deal because the patriots already lost or is the chief was the chiefs or the texans some of the patriots lost to some of the patriots will see in the playoffs it's it's so easy to dismiss because it's like you think bill belichick is going to cheat to beat the one win Bengals, even though he really 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 needs to win this game to keep home field advantage you think he's really going to do that come on um i do think there's one theory out there that maybe um hasn't been like thrown out and so i, I will throw it out there what if this third party videographer like gets up there and he's like, you know what? I want to film this stuff and just send it back. And then Belichick's going to hire me full time because I'm out here filming like the Bengals coaches. Do you think it's possible this guy went rogue to trying to like make Bill Belichick happy? He's wearing a Bruins shirt. So he's a big Boston guy. He's probably a Patriots fan. Um, it, it's entirely possible that he just set up shop and was like, I'm going to act like I'm getting B roll and just give this back to the Patriots and I'll get, I'll be like, Harold is like a hero to Bill Belichick. Is that, is that possible? Yeah, they're the same guys who unloaded uh, half of the Kansas City Chiefs players' equipment and then didn't unload the other half and let the plane fly to to Newark to get back into circulation, right? Like, those are the same guys who are hoping to infiltrate the New England Patriots' equipment staff. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Will. There's no hey, doubt. There's, there's a lot of validity to that one. No, I'm serious. But, like, would it surprise you if some, like, some, like, Stooley, who's like a like an airport worker in in uh, in Boston, is like, hey, look, Jimmy, it's the chief's uh, luggage, and like chunks it back onto the plane. Like, was it Dave Portnoy? Do we know if it was Dave? Was it was him or like a Big Cat there? Maybe I don't know. Was a PFT? It could, I think PFT's a Washington guy, anyway. Well, well, one of those rascals was probably there doing something they shouldn't have been. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, I'm just not I'm not I'm not ruling that out, but I, I do agree that if, if they find out the Patriots did something here, um, as Breach pointed out in the last podcast. If you're on probation and you need to go to Mexico for a wedding, you need to tell your probation officer, okay? And that's the the Patriots are on probation. So um, apparently my London Thanks. accent way better than my Boston accent. Yes. No, they're both terrible. Let me ask you this quickly, you and and or Brady. So if you're talking Roger Goodell and or the NFL enforcement arm of, of this thing, what's your explanation when they say, so uh, why are you pointing the camera at the sidelines for eight straight minutes when you're interviewing a, an advanced scout? I left the camera on and it was recording and I didn't mean to. I just had happened to put it in that position and forgot it, it was recording. And then, like I said, I, I didn't mean to. I, honestly, well, that, negligence. That's the, now, and look, this are, this has not been corroborated by facts or like testimony, but the report from Diana Rossini of ESPN was that a Bengals 
staffer spotted the guy in the, in the, you know, with a Patriots.com credential wearing a Boston Bruins thing. And he's like, just, and the, and he sat back and watched to see what the guy was recording. And he's just honed in on the Bengals sideline for the first half or like the first quarter. And then finally he went and told security and then they got the guy and they're like, Hey, look, um, He's like, how about if I just give you the tape and we just forget this ever happened? It's like, like that's the biggest red flag of all. Like, what, like, what just, it'd be worse. The only thing that'd be worse is if you like, like swallowed a cyanide pill and keeled over. I mean, like, that's, well, the, the, I was just going to yeah. say, if it was meant for another purpose, you'd think you'd fight for whatever you were filming to keep that disc, but clearly it makes them look even more guilty. They're like, yeah, just go ahead and keep it. I don't know what it was. It's like if you go rob a bank and you have, you know, $2 million in a briefcase, the cops are coming. You ditch the cash just hoping that you, you maintain your freedom, right? Like, here, take this, buddy. Or it's like, like a, like a mobster thing. It's like, listen, can you just kill me? Cause Belichick can't find out that I got caught. Okay. Like that's, <laughs> that's the last thing that can happen. Belichick He'll rip my arms off and he'll beat me to death with them. Just shoot me right here, man. Um, all right. So that's anything else we want to add on Spygate too? <clears throat> nah, we're good. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll talk about this more and more frequently, but great insight, Brady, from a former quarterback, a former NFL player. Who still likes cheese pizza? Um, speaking of quarterbacks, I, I was going to, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Speaking of quarterbacks, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what did you think, Brady, about, cause I thought this was interesting. It is, it is a fine line that we walk when we talk about quarterbacks and how they behave themselves at the podium. We like people to be honest, but then we criticize players when they are honest. And yet it's hard not to get a little miffed at Baker Mayfield if you're, if you're the training staff or really anyone, because he appeared to kick them under the bus. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I know he's since come out and apologized. I just think the most frustrating part of this entire year um, watching the Browns is, you know, Freddie Kitchens, and really it goes higher than that, Jimmy Haslam, D. Haslam, they've continually I had a hard time creating a culture that allows players to develop uh when to know what to say and, and do the right thing. And I think it, it really that it speaks volumes as to how this year has worked out. You know, they, they hire a new head coach in Freddie Kitchens. They're hoping that's going to equate to better play from Baker Mayfield on the field and help him continue to mature and grow. And really it's done the exact opposite. Uh, he's playing worse this year. He's not as good of a player. And um, time and time again, we're dealing with things with the Browns off the field. You know, I mean, it, it's just, it's, Game after game, week after week, if it's not Baker, it's Odell. If it's not Odell, it's it's someone else or Miles Garrett. It's it's always something. And unfortunately, I, I think Baker Mayfield was drafted into an environment. Now, <clears throat> you know, I don't I don't think it was similar when I first got there to Cleveland. Uh, I really appreciated what Phil Savage and Romeo Correll had us in. And I think, you know, we were ten and six that rookie. We're on the right path. We just got crushed with injuries the next season. And once you pulled that ripcord, it really has started a domino effect in my mind ever since then, ever since 2007. And then once Jimmy Haslam and D. Haslam took over as owners, they've never been able to allow a coach to have more than, what, two years since they were there? Uh, or two plus, I guess, if you're looking at Hugh Jackson. Um, and so they've never allowed a head coach to have enough time to implement a culture and an environment where, one, players don't say this kind of stuff. I mean, look at the best, look at the best organizations. You never would find this from any Patriot player, let alone quarterback. Uh, do you see that in Seattle? Do you, do you see that with the Green Bay Packers? Do you see that with the Baltimore Ravens? Um, and, and so I, I kind of just, I look at a contemporary like Lamar Jackson and everything he's done since he's gotten there, 
Uh, he's done, he's done it the right way and he said the right things. And I know it's been easier because they've been a team that won the division. And they ha- he's had more success and he's had more help out around him compared to what Baker's had. But, you know, these sorts of moments of adversity, it's not the time when you throw your medical staff under the bus talking about an injury that it's not your injury. You don't know anything about it. You know, so why are you talking about it? And why are you throwing people under the bus who, you know, I trust me, only have your best interest in mind. You don't think the medical staff wants you to win a Super Bowl or win the division and have a chance to doing all that. So, you know, it's it's one of these things where he just needs to grow and mature and, and look at other examples of the great to, greats to do it and stop using this mantra of I am who I am. Because if that's who you are, then you haven't grown and you haven't gotten better. Right. Like you're, you're still the, the guy that, you know, we saw last year, you know, make some outlandish comments at times or even in college had done some things and you haven't grown, you haven't matured. And so if you're not trying to get better and not only as a player, but as a person, as a leader, then you're putting this organization back behind the eight ball and, and you're never going to be able to get over that hump. So it's just disappointing as a former Browns quarterback, as a former Browns fan or as a Browns fan, you know, watching this team and ha- having high ap- aspirations for them. That's what st- this whole thing strikes me as is just. It's it's a, a, an inept culture and environment there that I think you know allows him to even say things like this. Whereas if you had a different head coach, a different environment, more stability, you know, you're not hearing that these sorts of things from from players who are in his position. So Brady, I mean that you mentioned sort of the pre-draft process with Baker and some of the questions about his maturity. So if you're the new head coach, let's assume Freddie Kitchens doesn't survive for year two somehow even though he's had a great year one. If you're the new head coach and you're talking to John Dorsey and, and Jimmy Haslam, what are you going to say to them to convey the the message that you can handle Baker Mayfield? Because Baker Mayfield, I don't think, had any respect for uh, Hugh Jackson by the time that marriage ended. He seems to have Jimmy, uh, excuse me, Jimmy, uh, uh, Freddie Kitchens back right now, but who knows if that's going to change. But as a new head coach, Ron Rivera, whoever, what are you saying to ensure that you can, quote, unquote, handle Baker sort of his off-the-cuff comments and, and some of the things that you're sort of talking about here. Well, again, I think it goes back to just, you know, is John Dorsey going to enable, you know, him to say whatever he wants and, and not pose any sort of, not necessarily saying you have to find him, but being able to make him very much aware of the fact that that doesn't help your team. That only creates more distractions. It's no different than their head coach wearing a Pittsburgh started at T-shirt in his downtime. It's not the fact that he shouldn't be able to wear that or his daughter gave it to her or whatever the backstory is. It's the fact that you got to realize the position you're in. You know, the head coach, quarterback, you're the leaders of that team. You're the ones that everyone in that city, every Browns fan looks to, to do and say the right thing at all times, good and bad. And I think that's the issue is, you know, Freddie, you know, Freddie Kitchens and and the t-shirt and all that, which is just, it's completely unnecessary. People can be individuals without being idiots with the way they go about handling things. And I think that's the hard part about looking at the way they conduct themselves sometimes is they just don't say the right things. Uh, when they really need to, you know, in, 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 you know, at the wrong moment, when they need someone to step up and say the right things, um, they just haven't. So I think if I'm any head coach looking at that job, uh, you really need to feel like you've got to have autonomy. You, you've got to have John Dorsey on the same page that you've got a culture issue. Cause if John Dorsey doesn't realize that and he's just, you know, trying to admit that, look, man, uh, I, I supply the players talented. They may be lacking some character here and there, but you've got to make it work. I think that you're a head coach that says, yeah, I'm okay then. Like, like, I don't want to deal with that because I also want to have good people and win with good people. And I think there's plenty of examples of that. You can look at the New England Patriots for an example of that. You can look at many of the other organizations that I've kind of thrown out there. Same thing with the New Orleans Saints. Like, you don't see that coming from Sean Payton and his group. So there's countless examples, and for whatever reason, the Browns can't seem to get it right of how they want to handle themselves or conduct themselves with their culture. Mm. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> no, look, the Browns are a mess. I mean, it, it starts from the top down, and they haven't fixed it. And uh, they need to Can I ask Brady in... one more question? You can do whatever you want. It just, it just occurred to me. So, Brady, obviously uh, me and Brinson and Breach and Sean do a lot of whinging about how terrible the coaching is week in and week out. As someone who's been in the league and seen coaches in meetings and on the sidelines, have you ever thought to yourself, what is this guy, what is this idiot doing? Why is he doing what he's doing? Or is that more of a media Twitter fan thing? Or do players look at coaches and go, this guy's a freaking moron and this is why we're losing all these football games? No, of course. I mean, you're going to have those arguments and discussions on the sidelines in meeting rooms afterwards, especially, you know, Monday mornings after when you watch it back. And I think the thing you appreciate most about coaches and the guys you have most respect are the ones that would say, this is a bad call. I put you in a bad position. And, and that's why that play didn't work. Or this is a bad call. I put you in a bad spot and you made that play work. And, and that's why we love you as players. Like those guys who do that, those are the ones that tend to get the most respect, tends to be the ones that are most beloved. Um, and I think when you, you look at this year, there's a lot of things that I think have played into Baker Mayfield not taking the strides that he's needed to, or this, this Browns team has him. I mean, one, having to play the rest of the season now without Miles Garrett, that's going to hurt you. He's their best player on their, on their roster. Their defense is, is taking a step back. I, I think we'd agree, especially since the transition to Greg Williams being their head, interim head coach last year. And you look at how the defense was playing and, and really even how the offense was playing. Like they kind of fed off of that attitude from Greg Williams. Something that it's not really quite the same with Freddie Kitchens. Uh, they bring in Todd Munkin. It's a more downfield passing game. I think there's going to be some, you're going to take more chances. You're going to throw some more interceptions, but you know, you're hoping to, to throw more touchdowns than interceptions when it's all said and done being that aggressive. That hasn't been the case for this team in part because their offensive line play has been bad. And I, I think they're, they just need more time between Odell and Baker Mayfield in, their, in developing that chemistry. But you know, again, now he's not playing a hundred percent. He's, he's banged up. He needs surgery in the offseason. And it sounds like he doesn't want to be there. So to make matters worse, you know, you're, you're looking at a roster that doesn't really have the, the type of chemistry that you're really looking for out of a team. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that have equated to them not having a ton of success. But I, I think if you want to be critical of the play calling and some of the decision making, uh, it's fair and, and players are definitely like that out there. Um, even on the field, like I remember at times getting play calls thinking, you know, especially early on in my career, like, Am I able to get to something else or am I going to run this? And if I don't run this, like what's going to happen when I come off the sidelines? Am I going to get a bench? Is something else going to happen? Um, you know, I remember being on a, on a bad football team one year and the coach had come up and asked me and said, Hey, <clears throat> next time you get a one on one matchup, I want you to throw this particular guy. And I didn't have a lot of confidence in this guy. So next time I came back, I had press coverage on both sides. I threw to the guy that I, I favored the matchup. We ended up getting PI. We ended up getting the ball down around the goal line and I'm getting points out of the drive. I came off the sidelines and he's chewing me out because I didn't throw the guy he wanted me to. Um, and, and I just remember, I vividly remember that conversation thinking to myself, like that's not in the best interest of this team, but it was in the best interest of, uh, interest of us evaluating that player to see if he was going to make our roster. So, or, or stay on our roster for the following year. So there's all sorts of things that happen like that. It's a crazy business and crazy world, but, um, yeah, to think that like players aren't upset about play calls or frustrated with the play calling. Uh, no, that happens all the time. Yeah, that's a great, it is fascinating. And I was talking about this with somebody as it relates to the Panthers. There's just so many competing interests, especially later in the season with, you know, whether it's the quarterback, the coaching staff, um, the general manager, the owner, all, all, I mean, that's, that's when you get in a bad spot as a team is when you got competing interests. Fortunately, this, this team we got right here. Oh, go ahead, Brady. I know you got something else you want to say. 
No, I was just going to say you're right. I mean, you, you've got a general manager now who's trying to look at the roster, a head coach who might feel like he's on the hot seat and wants to win so he can maintain his job. And so you're putting guys on IR and putting guys in who, <clears throat> you know, they're saying, oh, yeah, you're safe. We want to take a look at these guys, see what they're capable of. And then we come see after week 17 on Black Monday, guys getting fired because uh, they didn't finish strong enough or, or they end up, you know, losing in dramatic ways because they've got younger players in there who they're just trying to get some game tape on them and see what they look like. So happens all the time. And it's 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 obviously for teams that have losing records and, and they're looking on to the next season. Yeah. Fortunately, we we, we all row the boat in the same direction. We've got a good team right here and we're going to row it right to a break. Then we come back. We're going to talk about Urban Meyer. We're going to ask Brady what he says to Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart when they make fun of him over the Bush push. Like, hey, that win got vacated, so you never actually won, losers. Like, can you go that far? Can you make fun of Reggie Bush for not having a Heisman? We'll find out after the break. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Welcome back. I was mostly kidding before the break about like, but I am, I did have that thought in my head earlier. Like, so are you, I mean, I have no idea how close you and Matt Leonard and Reggie Bush are, but you work together on a regular basis. You've known each other since the early 2000s, whether, you know, not, whether it's close friends or whatever, like you're running the same circles, professional athletes, you yeah. know, good looking celebrities, et cetera, et cetera. What, what, what are the limits? Where you can, cause like my friends, like you and I'll say stuff to each other and, 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 you know, like, you know, there's certain limits you can push. What's the limit when you got like a rivalry, like a Notre Dame USC rivalry from back in the day that you can bring up? Like, I, I don't think you like make fun of Reggie Bush for losing its Heisman Trophy. I wouldn't think that would be okay, but you could be like, uh, you know, that win didn't count, right? You know that guys, right? No, well, here's the thing is they don't care about vacated wins because like we were alluding to earlier when talking about advantages or disadvantages and cheating and not cheating. Um, most players feel like what happens on the field is what happens on, on the, on the field. And that's all that matters. Um, and so when you go back to that game and I, I've said this to Reggie, I said, look, man, I would hope my running back would have done the same thing. If I was in that position, if I wasn't going to get in on the first try on the quarterback sneak, I would hope he would have Darius Walker would have given me a shove in the back to get in the end zone. Um, and, and so there, there's a fair amount of play back and forth about it, but look, I never beat you with Cedar in my time there. Now, granted, 
that was one of the greatest football teams of all time during my tenure there. They were usually number one or two in recruiting, and we were still trying to kind of build back up with different head coaches. So uh, it wasn't necessarily the most level playing field, and, and I think more reasons why that wasn't necessarily the most level playing field. But there's a fair amount of banter that goes back and forth. But you know, and as far as the Heisman goes, I mean, look, Reggie Bush was one of the greatest. He was the greatest college football player I've ever seen during my time. Um, and, and I'll tell you a story. Before we were playing them back in 2005, which was that Bush push game, Charlie Weiss thought it was important that our offense watch their, their offense at USC because he wanted our defense to understand what they were. He wanted our offense to understand what our defense was up against. And he wanted us to understand why we were running the type of offense in that game that we were going to. And so we watched USC versus Arizona State as an entire team, the TV copy. And I'll never forget literally watching Reggie touch the football and every time you kind of held your breath because you thought he was going to score a touchdown. I mean, he was just that dynamic of a player. He's so explosive. He had a great game in that game, um, you know, versus us at Notre Dame and obviously, you know, it helped to aid Matt to get in the end zone at the end. So, um, it, you know, he was, he was a hell of a football player and, you know, he may not have that hardware with him, but, you know, he should. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people realize that. Yeah. Reggie Bush was freaking awesome. He had 3,600 scrimmage yards in his final two seasons at USC. I mean, that's ridiculous. And, um, and think about it. He really split time with Lendell White. Like, one of the things we joke about is how, like, you know, they'd be big play or Reggie maybe gets them down inside the five and, like, Lendell White comes in to run it in the end zone. We were saying, like, yeah. think about how much better your stats would have been. And I also I, – so the backstory with Reggie is I called him back when he was in high school and I tried to recruit him to come to Notre Dame. I was an early commit. Before my, um, before my senior year and, at, at, at back in Dublin Kaufman. And I, I kind of gave my best pitch and all that. And obviously USC had a better pitch, but, uh, I, I still tell them to this day, I said, you would have been the other two time Heisman Trophy winner had you come to Notre Dame. Cause he would have probably played as a freshman right away. Um, and, and he would have gotten the notoriety at the running back spot at Notre Dame to be able to win it very, very early on. So uh, I do tell him that all the time that he, he probably would have won too had he come to Notre Dame, but you know, so be it. He wanted to do elsewhere. 15 carries, 160 yards in the Bush push game. He showed up in a big way, but you outplayed 15 that 15 for 160. I mean, think about it's ridiculous. that. It's ridiculous. And he had, uh, hey, uh Brett- five yards. Yes, Brian. What, uh, what do you think Brady could have done for you if you'd gone to Notre Dame? Uh, I mean, I probably would have gotten to hang out with like Samarja and party and stuff. And then like, I would have been like able to dive in on some athlete fights and like, you know, hit some guys when they're down <laughs> and be like, yeah, we got him, Brady. I, you know, Brady probably would have you know, a little more success. Well, there, there weren't frats there. So you couldn't have been as fratty as you are today. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> people take more pride in their dorm, what, what dorm they're in, at least early on in their college career. But will you guys would have definitely hung out with the, the football guys. You guys would have been around probably partying hard. I, I can, I can envision Will doing a bunch of keg stands. I can do a keg stand. I can do a keg stand. I don't, I don't I doubt that, buddy. I can still do a keg stand. Ryan, have you ever done a keg stand? Yeah, don't love them. I'll be honest with you. Don't like shotgun and beers either. <laughs> I don't love either. They get you. They get you pretty loose. I can't remember the last time I did one. It definitely wasn't like six months ago. Anyway, let's move along and uh, talk about some. Uh, oh yeah, Urban Meyer. Speaking of colleagues of yours, Urban Meyer, Jerry Jones. So Jane Slater of the NFL Network reported about a week and a half ago that there was interest and in that in between the two parties and that Stephen Jones had talked to Urban Meyer. Never reported about a meeting, but Jerry Jones on Tuesday morning was asked. If he had met or if he had Stephen Jones had met with Urban Meyer recently and he flatly denied, it. he said, I can tell you specifically that that is not true. 
Um, he said, that's not correct. I can confirm it's absolutely not correct. We have not met with any coach, not met with any specifically why and answer that question. I don't want to. And then, and then this is what gets a little weird. It's very Jerry Jonesy because he's, they're about to ask, it's like RJ and Chan on 105.3 the fan. They're about to ask him another question and he keeps talking and he goes, now, Normally, when somebody says, have you met with such and such, or are you interested in such and such, you say, I have not. The implication is, you're not interested. That shouldn't be brought forward either. <laughs> so he's like, he was basically like, we'd kind of like to talk to Urban Meyer. I, so I don't know. Do you think, do you think there's a legitimate interest there between the Cowboys and Urban Meyer? Understanding that, you know, you have a, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to put you in a compromised situation. Just, do you think it would be a good fit? Do you think there's a legitimate interest? Is that a possible ending here for the Cowboys? Let me first ask this question. Is Jerry saying that he hasn't talked to Urban Meyer or no one, like Stephen Jones, hasn't talked to Urban Meyer? See, no, this is the beauty. Jay, and I wrote about this t- on Tuesday. Jerry Jones said, he, Jerry Jones was asked, have you had a meeting with Urban Meyer? And he said, I can tell you, there's no meeting. We never had a meeting. No meeting at all. And that's the beauty of semantics when it comes to t- uh, Texarkana uh, talk is that you can be like, absolutely no meeting. But you could have called, you could have called Urban and been like, hey, man, uh, this Chase Young kid's pretty good. Do you, you want to coach the Cowboys? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, that's not a meeting. That doesn't count as a meeting. It's a please. <clears throat> right. And, and there's all, all sorts of times when you get, you know, uh, coaches running into another, you know, into, into each other and all that. It's not a meeting. They just ran into each other. Right. And they have to have a conversation. Um, I'll start off by saying this. Like, I think if Urban wanted to take that job, he'd do a tremendous job. He's been a winner at every level, wherever he's been. And I think one of the reasons why I don't, uh, doubt his ability to go to the NFL level and have success is, you know, he has all those foundational pieces that you look for in a head coach to be able to be successful. Uh, one of the things I've appreciated working with him this past year is he's got a very clear focus on what he needs to do or what he wants to do in order to be successful. I think there's so many times, and one of the like mantras that you see in New England is do your job. Okay. Like, but a lot of people sometimes like try to go outside of what their actual job requires and what they're being asked to do. And I think one of the things that he does a tremendous job of is making sure that everyone understands what exactly their job is, how it should be done and and what they need to do to accomplish it. Uh, And so that clear line of communication, that clear focus, um, all those things bode well to, I think, enhancing performance. And so that's part of it. He's an incredible motivator. The guy is ridiculously competitive, hardworking, competitive, all that. And so all those are the same traits that I think you see in a lot of coaches, a lot of players that in, in, in the NFL, but obviously there's something more to him because he's had success literally everywhere he's gone. Bowling Green State, Utah, Florida, uh, Ohio State. So if he were to join the Cowboys, I definitely think he could make it work. I think the biggest thing he'd have to adjust to is just the fact that you know, you don't have necessarily a new recruiting class. You've got to, you know, balance, um, your, your, your cap and, and salaries and deal with all, all that sort of thing. Uh, and, and maybe it's a little bit different as far as how you go about communicating with NFL players as opposed to how you go about communicating, uh, with college players. But again, all things that I, I think he would be just fine with doing. And you had to pair him back with a guy in Zeke Elliott who they had a lot of success together during their time at Ohio State. So, uh, I think if the opportunity was there, I think it'd be hard for anyone to turn down. I mean, forget, Urban Meyer, think about Lincoln Riley, think about Matt Rule, think about any of the other names you want to throw out there. If, if someone comes and offers you the Dallas Co- Cowboys head coaching job, like even me, I'm not even qualified for it. If Jerry Jones was like, Hey, you want to co- coach the Cowboys? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, sign me up. And then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to figure it out now. Right. Uh, I think everyone would, would take that opportunity because it is the Dallas Cowboys, regardless of, um, the concerns about Jerry Jones and, him talking about you on local radio or him meddling too much in all of it. I think you look at that roster, you look how bad the NFC East is this year, by the way, 
uh, and you just think to yourself, like, this team is probably underperforming, and I think they're good enough to be able to get into the playoffs and maybe make a run to win a Super Bowl. Okay. I dig the idea of Urban in, in, in Dallas. I think it'd be fun. It'd be intriguing. It'd be spicy. Give me the storylines. Give me the page views. By the way, Shoot name a better candidate for a head coaching job in the NFL that's like an assistant right now. Uh, then, then Urban? Yeah. Or, or, or any other college coach that's thrown in the mix, whether it's Lincoln or Urban or, or Matt Rule, like any of those guys. Like I just, I feel like part of the reason why we keep hearing speculation about college coaches is, there's just not an assistant that really blows you away outside of, well, yeah, of course, Josh McDaniels, but he already turned down a job, you know, what was it last year with the Indianapolis Colts? And, you know, maybe there's some other guys who are kind of waiting in the wings or guys we don't know quite as much about, but still, um, I think there's a lot of people looking at what the Cardinals did bringing in Cliff Kingsbury and they're probably thinking to themselves, okay, like who can I maybe take from the college football level? That's a good coach that can, that, that can maximize my roster and have success. Well, I think too that, um, when you look at the Sean McVay factor here, right? Like Sean McVay's got the Rams are doing fine this year, but all the branches, all the little branches of his tree, you know, Matt LaFleur's fine in, in Green Bay, but I mean, they're not, you know, they haven't magically fixed Aaron Rodgers and the offense isn't incredible. They're having a great season, but I don't think everyone's attributing it strictly to, to Matt LaFleur. Um, Zach Taylor, as we mentioned, one win in, in Cincinnati. And then even in like Denver, where you got an older defensive coach who sort of deserved a first chance at Vic Fangio, there hasn't been like this great success for these first year head coaches. And so I think people are probably wary of bringing in assistants like a Freddie Kitchens. Um, and they're like, well, Kingsbury actually doing pretty good in Arizona with limited talent. He's ran a program before. So why not give it a shot with a Matt rule or somebody like that? That, that is sort of where I see the line of thinking going with these owners. I'm with you. I think another name you got to keep in mind, especially if you feel like the Dallas Cowboys are tied uh, to Dak Prescott would be Dan Mullen. Uh, he's done a good yeah. job during his time in Florida. And I think it would make a lot of sense if you're saying, how can we maximize uh, Dak Prescott's ability? Well, why don't we bring in the coach who coached him at Mississippi State uh, back when they, I believe, they actually made it up to number one in the polls, and Dak was a Heisman candidate. So uh, there, there might be something there too to keep in mind as we move forward. And again, I, I hate talking about the subject only because you know Jason Garrett still has the job. Jason Garrett is very, very well respected within that organization, and I, I think people on the outside don't understand how hard he works, how much the players respect him, and and every and, and everything. You know, you don't hear that as much on the outside. You hear people kind of just making fun of him, clapping all the time and whatever he does, but he, he really does have the team's attention. Unfortunately, for whatever reason, he just hasn't been able to maximize their potential. Dan Mullen, by the way, has never coached, uh, in the pro level, but he did, you know, the interesting connection there is with when he worked for Urban at, uh, Florida. No, yeah, yeah, he worked with Urban at Florida, but when he worked for Urban at Notre Dame, they went and studied under Scott Linehan, who right. eventually would craft the playbook that Dak Prescott ran before Kellen Moore. And, you know, I mean, similarities. And by the way, it's not just clapping we make fun of him for us unknowledgeable sarcastic the headset. Block. Who's the, the headset, headset going to? Who's it going to, Ryan? Ryan. Who's getting the headset? What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's me. This is what you say. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Um, good job clapping. All right, let's talk about some draft stuff. <laughs> Cowboys won't be drafting a quarterback, but the Bengals might. Ryan Wilson's latest mock draft. Let's look at the top 10. I'll read them for you, Ryan. Joe Burrow, number one to LSU. Chase Young, number two. Excuse me. Joe Burrow, number one to Cincinnati. This is based on sports lines order, so don't get mad at us. Your team stinks anyway. Chase Young to the Giants at number two. Andrew Thomas, tackle out of Georgia. The Redskins at three. Jedrick Wills, Auburn, <laughs> offensive tackle to the Dolphins. Derek Brown from Auburn. 
Auburn, I'm missing all of this. Derek Brown of the Lions, Tristan Warfs to the Cardinals, Javon Kinlaw to the Jaguars, Isaiah Simmons, stud linebacker out of Clemson, the Falcons, Jerry Judy, wide receiver from Alabama to the Jets, and Jeffrey Udoka, cornerback from Ohio State to the Chargers. That is the top 10. Shocking, I, I think, that there's only one quarterback, but not shocking that Joe Burrow is the top guy. Where, uh, where Brady, I'll ask you first, where does Joe Burrow rank in terms of recent quarterbacks? Like, and I, we're not talking about what you've seen from these guys at the pro level, but when they were coming out, when they were coming to the draft, um, you know, how would you sort of slot Joe Burrow with other recent prospects? That's interesting. Um, it, it's, it's hard because, you know, to me, I think when you look at his game, you look at what they're doing at LSU with the, what, what their passing game coordinator, Joe Brady has brought. Um, I, I think it's the closest thing to what he's going to be asked to do at the next level. Um, you know, Kyler Murray was kind of unique as a number one overall pick. Uh, especially considering the, the offense that they're running now with Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, they're trying to cater more towards him. You know, Baker Mayfield running Lincoln Riley system in Oklahoma, uh, different from what they were at. Lincoln Riley asked from Kyler Murray. So you can kind of go through the past couple of years, just the number one overall picks. And I, I do think they, you know, at least in Baker Mayfield's case, probably had a bit more of a transition than Kyler Murray has just because of the, the head coaching change. But for Burrow, man, I mean, the season he's had, I mean, it's, it's going to be pretty squeaky clean as far as what you see on a film and, and what you're asking him to do. Like this seems like a no brainer. Um, there's not many holes you can poke in all of it. I, I said this earlier to Ryan. I think the only question you have is, you know, why was he where he was last year and what, what caused a huge jump this year? Is it just the reps? Is it the growth and maturity of everyone? Is it Joe Brady? Whatever the case is, um, he's, he ranks up there about as high as I've seen from the film I've watched of him. Just as a prospect, like I would put him right up there, uh, as far as the accuracy that I used to, that I saw from Baker Mayfield and same thing from Kyler Murray. Uh, he's a better athlete than Baker Mayfield as far as his ability to run. And I think his pocket movement is off the charts. I mean, I would honestly compare it probably to Trevor Lawrence when you're looking at how good of a prospect he could be. Joe Burrow's right there. I don't think he has as big of an arm. He's not as, I don't think he's as big of a player either. But they're very similar as far as their athleticism and movement in the pocket. So there's a lot to love about Joe Burrow. It's just, I think, answering that question of why the big jump from last year to this year? Like, what's been the difference? And uh, are we going to keep seeing that same player going to, let's be honest, probably a really bad football team if they're drafting number one overall? Yeah, I'm with you, Brady. I watched, I just counted up, I watched 11 of uh, the 12 games that LSU played, and Joe Burrow I say people say to people that are, have questions about Joe Burrow this year, I say go watch literally any game and you will be blown away at how good he is. Justin Herbert, you have to go watch the USC game to see, oh, that's the Justin Herbert we've been waiting to see because there are plenty of other examples of him not doing well. Um, and this has been a clean slate for uh, for Joe Burrow for the reasons you, you basically pointed out. So I went back to look at all the sort of high dra- high round draft picks for the quarterbacks the last few years, and I stopped on this guy, and feel free to laugh, but in terms of the way he's playing now, Joe Burrow is, I think he compares sort of closely to one Andrew Luck. Uh, they do a lot of the same things pretty well. They move well in the pocket. They're not going to throw the ball, you know, through a wall, but they throw it well enough. They're super smart. They do a lot of good things before the snap and after the snap. They avoid dumb plays. They can run a little bit. Um, I don't know how that's going to translate to Joe Burrow's NFL career, but I thought in terms of comparing him to someone at this stage of the proceedings, he, he thought, he reminded me a little bit of, um, of Andrew Luck. Uh, I want to say quickly, Brady, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence and, uh, Brinson and I had this discussion earlier today. I know you hate hypotheticals, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway to you because Brinson's all in on team Trevor Lawrence right now. And I said, I'm not convinced if Trevor Lawrence was coming out this year based on his body of work this year, 
he would be the number one overall pick given how well Joe Burrow's played. I think I would still take Joe Burrow first if I'm the Bengals, but um, I didn't know if you wanted to weigh in on that, if you want, want to pass like you like to do on these hypothetical questions. Yeah, I think the only thing that would give me <clears throat> more more confidence in taking Trevor Lawrence over Joe Burrow is just the, the track record. Like we saw him do it as a true freshman to win a national championship at the highest level. So we saw it there last year, and then this year, you know, you can make whatever you want of what he's done, but he's actually been pretty phenomenal. It just it took him a little longer to get started and get going, and I think it took their offense as a whole. It wasn't just him; it was their O line, it was their rushing attack too. Um, and and so I like. They're one A, one B. Honestly, I think you'd probably see in my mind Trevor Lawrence go one, Burrow two. Um, just because again, I just think there's a little bit more there with his arm strength, but man, I mean, it would be tough to pick between the two. I think there's a lot of things you gotta love about Joe Burrow, even his track record. I mean, he's a coach's son. He was a really good basketball player. Like sometimes when I watch him move and throw, that's what I see is he, he's just a distributor out there with the way he, he moves around with the football. So, uh, it would be tough between the two, but I, I, I think I just give the slight edge to Trevor Lawrence just because I've seen it now for two seasons. And as great as this season has been for Burrow, um, I, I also wonder like if Trevor Lawrence is in that system, I, I do think he put up very similar stats considering how loaded they are a wide receiver. Um, and, and also how much they target the running back out of the backfield. There's a lot of easy completions and yards after the catch, uh, for Edwards Elaire, um, that'll kind of build in there too. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not, I don't, I'm not knocking Joe Burrow. I think if Trevor Lawrence in, the, in this draft, they'd find a way to go one and two. But Lawrence is three years younger. He's been doing it for two full years. He came in as a true freshman, I believe, right? I don't think he's a red shirt. True and he freshman. lit it up, true freshman, lit it up and won a national title. And he was making big time throws. And I think one of the things about Trevor Lawrence that's really impressive to me, and we'll see, like, this is what's always interesting about the college level stuff is that, Typically, when we see a guy explode in one year, like it happened with RG3, um, you know, you, you get nitpicked and it depends on when you're going to get nitpicked, right? Trevor Lawrence could not leave. So he didn't get nitpicked during the draft discussion. Even Andrew Luck got nitpicked during the draft discussion. RG3 got pulled apart in the draft discussion. People were trying to prop him up with, with Andrew Luck. Um, but you know, we saw it with these guys like Lamar Jackson came back after his Heisman year. He got nitpicked in college. So Joe Burrow is going to be nitpicked throughout the process of the, uh, of leading up to the draft. I think he'll go number one. I think he's, a, I mean, like you watch him play live and he's so smooth and he's athletic enough to, I think the Andrew Luck comp actually works. I don't, I don't know if I give him that full like elevation to that spot, but like he's so smooth in the way he operates. He's very mobile. He's an underrated athletic specimen. He can make all the throws. He looks like he's comfortable in both a spread and pro style system, which is sort of what they run. Uh, now that uh, Brady brought it in, not Brady Quinn, but uh, Joe, is it Joe Brady? Joe Brady. Joe, Joe Brady brought it in from, uh, from the Saints. It's like the Saints, but with spread. It's like Cajun, but with spice. Uh, <clears throat> well, to, to your point though, and, and something Ryan kind of brought up too is, is there is something about doing it as a true freshman. That was one thing that I remember watching Andrew Luck as a true freshman at Stanford and saying, that's the number one pick. Like, like yep. whenever he's done, that's the number one pick. I said the same thing about last year watching Trevor Lawrence. I, I remember I watched early on some film of him this year, and I just I, I thought to myself, there's no one outside of Joe Burrow who I've seen who moves as well in the pocket and makes throws and does things like you see at the NFL level. Um, and, and I do think Trevor Lawrence just has a little bit better arm, but there's something to both Lawrence and Luck and what they did coming in as a true freshman as compared to Joe Burrow who – you know, couldn't quite convince those guys early on when he was a back at the JT Bear. And then, you know, he got hurt. People don't realize this. He got hurt in a competition with Dwayne Haskins, 
uh, I want to say around the spring game of that year. And then when he finally got healthy again, he ended up sitting behind Haskins for that year. Uh, Haskins has a phenomenal year and he ends up being a transfer afterwards, you know, coming down to, to LSU and all that. So, uh, I just, I, I kind of look at like how all that worked out and, or I, I think I don't know if he ever sat behind Haskins then. I think going into the JT Barrett's last year, he ended up being in third string because of the hand and because of everything else that dealt with that. So he couldn't be the backup. And then he had grad transferred for the year that Dwayne Haskins started. So when, when you look at Dwayne Haskins, I guess the comparison would be, I mean, he played phenomenal that one year at Ohio State. I mean, between Haskins last year and Joe Burrow, you'd say, well, clearly Ohio State made the right decision, right? Now this year, looking at Joe Burrow, you're saying, okay, like maybe he was just, you know, kind of needed a little bit more time in the system or the right system that Joe Brady's brought in and some of the guys to mature out around him. But I think it's the only knock that you would say there is. There, I'm, I'm promising you, I'll tell you this. You're not going to find any game to knock. Maybe a few decisions here and there, some bad throws or uh, under duress. You find that with every quarterback. His film is about as flawless as it gets, but he's got two big games coming up, and we'll, and we'll see how he handles those. I don't think he's going to have an issue with Oklahoma's defense. It'll probably come versus the winner of Clemson and, and Ohio State. We uh, we got Ryan and I, not an argument, we didn't get in a big argument. We were having like a slack discussion about Lawrence versus Joe Brady or Joe Burrow, and um, I was like trying to, I don't know what stupid straw man argument I was trying to prop. I was like, the defense is he's played at Clemson have not been like, you know, he played A&M and South, South Carolina was 16th by defensive, defensive efficiency. Um, and then well, stop with look, your nerd numbers. All right. Like, look, did he play good defenses this year? No, he didn't. And that's no. honestly, that, that's one of my concerns, like for Clemson and Trevor Lawrence going into this semifinal. Like they haven't played a defensive front with a guy like Chase Young all year. Like Basham at Wake Forest is maybe the best. There's a couple guys at South Carolina who are okay. Um, but nothing like what he's going to fight face at Ohio State. So this really will be the first test that we get to see from him this year. Uh, when you look at their entire slate. Uh, so I'm sorry to break that to you, but regardless of whatever stats or numbers you want to talk about, uh, I can promise you that Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott, those guys didn't have to game plan for someone the way they're going to have to game plan for Chase Young. I, the point of what I was saying Nerd is that I no, I came away with it. I was like, you know what, Ryan, I'm sorry. I even suggested that. That was completely wrong. According to defensive efficiency, LSU played four of the top ten off ten defenses uh, over the course of the year: Florida, Alabama, uh, Georgia, Auburn, Georgia, and Auburn. Right, exactly. Yeah. You, you, you also know the good teams in the SEC. Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> South Carolina's not one of them, but way to use that as an example. Clemson has more uh, <laughs> SEC wins in South Carolina, actually, which is embarrassing for South Carolina. Um, or maybe not South Carolina, a couple of teams. Anyway, let's get to some five-star reviews. Unless you want to add anything. Yeah, you know what Debo said? Let's get there. Let's go there. Um, what's up, <laughs> boomers? Condor181 asks. I'm not sure why this is on there, but this is a good Brady Quinn topic. Would you rather be stuck in the Olympic-sized pool with water up to your shoulders with a great white shark for an hour or in a caged football field with a tiger for 10 minutes? <laughs> Cage football field with a tiger for 10 minutes. What makes you think you're going to survive a shark for an hour? Yeah. Like if I get, I just got to run around for 10 minutes and I like climb up and hold on for 10 minutes. You're not getting away. You're not getting a great white shark or an hour. You're yeah. No chance. Yeah. No chance. I mean, are we assuming that both animals are going to try to kill you or, I mean, look, I, I just, I figure like the shark's going to get, sharks can't see very well. People don't realize that. So it's going to get nosy. It's going to be like, Hey, what's that over there? And if there's no other options for it to eat anything, yeah, he's coming after you. I mean, a, is, a tiger, a tiger might want to take a nap. It is a cat. You know, maybe you catch him at a, at a, you know, out of his circadian rhythm and he's just supposed to take a little nap for a while. 
also, Ryan, Errol Brady, whoever knows about the size, is it Olympic size pool? Are we talking about like a lengthy, like a skinny long pool? Because if that's his shark, now on the other hand, if you could get behind the shark, I don't know if he could back up. Like, can sharks go in reverse? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I've been swimming with sharks, never a great white, but I don't know if they can back up. So that would be one concern. Can I ask this? An Olympic sized pool is, is what Michael Phelps swims in when he wins gold medals. It's plenty big for a shark to turn around. I think you get on the football field, make sure you're in good shape, because a tiger ain't going to want to run for 10 minutes. And with your heart and your throat, you probably could run for a good five minutes. Up, oh, Brinson has some important fact to share. Well, can I, can I bring this up? If it's up to your shoulders, like there's not much room for that shark. I feel like the shark's going to be pretty pissed off about being in like shoulder high water. He's going to be like, yeah, I have nowhere to go, but I'm pretty mad that you've got me in this situation. So I'm going to eat you and then I'm going to figure out what to do after that. Uh, Yeah. Whereas like with the tiger, he might be on the other side of the field and might mess around with like the fence for a little while. And you get three free minutes there while you're cowering in the corner waiting for him to find. He could be looking at himself, like bathing himself, you know, like he, maybe he's dirty and he's like cleaning himself off. And you're just like, yeah, dude. You you need to you need to go handle your hygiene. You know you could talk to the tiger. Yeah, you're not surviving this. <laughs> an hour it should be flipped. It'd be an hour on the football field with a tiger, or I agree. ten minutes in the pool with a shark. Because you might get away with ten minutes in the pool with a shark. Maybe if you like stand totally still in the corner. If that shark sees you or sniffs you, adios. You're done. You're That's done. a wrap. Yeah, and you could die multiple ways there, right? Like they could just drag you in there and drown. Maybe he bites you and release, and you just bleed to death, or he just eats you whole. I- I'm guessing that if he gets a little blood out, you're not going to just like sit there and bleed to death. He's probably going to snack on you a little further. Yeah, that's a good point. Although you do hear uh, about them, you know, biting and then releasing because they're like, oh, it's not a seal. And you're like, yeah, a lot of people don't really survive from that. The first time I ever did, first time I ever was scuba diving, our dive master, uh, Vicky down in the uh, cool, cool lady, Vicky and Jason were awesome people back then. And uh, she took a two liter Coca-Cola bottle. You take it down to like 65 feet, right? And it compresses. And if you rub the sides of the Coca-Cola bottle, it actually imitates the sound of a dying grouper. And she did it. And we're sitting there. And all of a sudden, this 10-foot hammerhead shark comes cruising up in the same range of us. And this is like the first time I've ever been like 60 feet in the water. And my, I was with my dad. And he turns. And he's like looking around for me. He can't find me. And finally, he like looks behind him. And I'm like holding his feet, hiding behind my dad as this shark is cruising up. <laughs> That's about right. Uh, I'll say this. And I can say this because of, of the person I am. You will never hear a black person dying that way, by the way. You will never hear a black person at the bottom of the ocean rubbing a bottle together, looking for a hammerhead shark to come attack them. This is some straight up Brinson nonsense. Thank you. It is, it's, it's ridiculous. It's one of those deals where you're like, Hey, how do you die, by the way? Oh, well, they wanted to try to call in a hammerhead shark because they wanted to see one and they didn't realize like, you know, in scuba gear adept, you can't go up that fast. So you have to kind of slowly go up and eventually the shark just ate him. Yeah. Hey, look, I didn't, I didn't know she was going to call the hammerhead, nor did I want her to call the hammerhead. I don't care for sharks. One time my dad did get me, he, he tricked me into sticking my head into under. He's like, check this out, check this out. I poked my head in there and there's a six foot nurse shark in there and I was about a foot away from its face. Harmless. Sharks, I don't want to do anything to you. You still don't want to see it. Still don't want it in the face. Um, in the face. Uh, okay. We'll get one more diva. Did you hear the rivers clip, Brady? <laughs> did you hear the rivers clip? The what? Have you seen the Philip Rivers clip from Sunday? Huh. Floating around the. So. When he was talking trash to Yannick Ngakwe? That one, yes. Yeah. All right, so who's the best trash talker <clears throat> that you dealt with when you were in the NFL? Oh, gosh. Um, 
Wish I wish I would have known this question in advance. I could have thought through the through the years. Um, well, I'll say this much about Philip. So Philip is notorious for talking a lot. Like he was when I was in Denver for those two years, and even in Kansas City. Like he, everyone who plays against him hates him. Now, granted, he's a great player, and he's a really nice guy, but he does like to chirp, and so people hated him. And I had no idea, like, you should just take the Andrew Luck approach, right? You're like, you compliment him all the time, like, nice hit, big boy, like, all that stuff. Philip Rivers does the absolute opposite, and it's like, it's it's ridiculous how much guys hate him on opposing teams. So, um, maybe it's the bolo time, maybe it's that, but that's not surprising that, like, guys would try to go after him. As far as a defensive play, I'm trying to think Yannick, of someone. It's like, just while you're thinking, I'm going to point out that Yannick Ngakwe, like, Knocks him over after he's thrown the ball and ended up being a 90 yard touchdown pass. And by the way, it was Philip Rivers birthday on Sunday. Happy birthday, Phil. But Yannick goes down and picks him up off the ground, which is something that like you don't typically see the edge rusher do, especially two right. five and nine teams. Picks him up off the ground and Rivers starts. Rivers like does this little like child thing and puts his arms out and goes, 90 yard touchdown, 90 yard touchdown. And so, and Yannick's like, what, what the hell, man? I just picked the you official up, like, actually cursed oh. Philip to get off the field. <laughs> And then Phil just sprinted off. And just, um, um, what, who I do recall, and it wasn't necessarily to me, but I always remember there being a lot of discussion between Pac-Man Jones, Adam Jones for the Cincinnati Bengals, and whoever was going up against him. A lot was being said back and forth. Now, I was cool with him, hung out a few times down in South Beach, happened to run into him, and he was really cool. Um, but he, there was any time, it was, whether it was Braylon or anyone else was, was being covered by him, there was a lot of talking going back and forth. So I would say he ranks up there pretty high uh, as far as what I remember off the top of my head. But I'd have to think back through the years of some of the other guys who used to talk a lot of trash. Um, all right. Somebody go on I, on Apple Podcasts after you listen to the show and leave a five-star review and say, Brady, give us your best Pac-Man Jones story going out of Miami. And, uh, and then we'll see if we'll answer uh, but you can leave a review if you got a question for Brady. Maybe it's about sharks and tigers. Maybe it's about trash talk. Uh, if you got a question about anything draft related for Ryan Wilson or, you know, scuba diving related for me, whatever you want to do, you can leave a five-star review. We will answer it. We love your five-star reviews. Thank you for all the support. Thank you, Brady and Ryan, for a great podcast. Next week. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.